We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The freshman class of the new Congress is making quite a name for itself this year with more than 100 days under their belts and some huge issues and challenges to tackle. This weekend, we catch up with one member who made hit- history before she was even sworn in. It's a conversation with Naperville Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Lauren Underwood is the Democratic Congresswoman from the 14th District, which covers suburbs from Crystal Lake in Geneva to Yorkville and Oswego. It was once represented by former House Speaker Dennis Hastert. She defeated Republican Randy Hultgren to win the job. Along the way, she became the first woman to be nominated by her party for this seat and the first African-American woman to win it. At 32, she is the youngest black woman to serve in Congress, and we could probably go on with a few more statistics, but Congresswoman Woman Underwood is not trying to make a difference by racking up first. She's been outspoken on the crucial issue of health care, and she's sponsoring a House bill to solidify federal funding for medical research. Being a nurse and former senior advisor to the Department of Health and Human Services probably adds quite a bit of weight to her views. So we're going to talk about health care the first 100 days and a lot more this weekend, and we are recording this interview in the 14th District, specifically in Huntley. Uh, Full disclosure, I live in this district, so that makes my guest also my congresswoman, Lauren Underwood. Welcome. Hi, Craig. (laughs) Um, We are talking just ahead of you uh, hosting a roundtable on prescription drug uh, affordability for senior citizens, so let's start there. Uh, You will certainly hear complaints that drug prices are too high, and you and your colleagues often do, Uh, but What has Congress done and what can it do about that problem? So we've heard uh, any number of stories about uh, the real crisis point that we're at in terms of prescription drug affordability. Um, This is something that's not unique to the Medicare population. And so while our conversation today is going to be with seniors, we know that this is something that's impacting families and individuals of all ages. I've heard from parents whose children are diabetic and require insulin, and they can't afford the insulin prices of $2,500 a month, um, all the way to people who need you know, really highly specialized, you know, um, drugs that are, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a month for their treatments. And so, um, you know, we're committed to action. um, And I'm really excited. One of the things that we have to remember is that there's been a long time since House Democrats were in the majority. And so many of our accomplishments in the first 100 days, not all, but many, were things that were sort of taken off the shelf, dusted off, and we had an opportunity to vote on. But this issue, the prescription drug issue, is one where we are working in close consultation with individual patients, advocacy groups, uh, academics, and experts in the field, and industry to try to come up with a solution. And so I'm really grateful as a new member to be able to sit at the table and offer solutions. And so um, that's why we're having this kind of a roundtable today and we're using our district work period to really come up uh, with some of these creative solutions to the problem. So there's no one answer. And I see that as uh, an exciting development when we think about um, 
really coming to a solution that will um, have the desired impact. What we don't want is to rush to a solution and find ourselves six months later in a position where like it, it, it stifles innovation or has some unintended consequence. Yeah, and pharmaceutical companies especially uh, have, uh, have said, you know what, we still have to pay for research and development of new medicines, mm -hmm. and they spend a whole lot of money persuading elected officials and even patients that they need all of this. So are you basically gearing up for an uphill fight, and an uphill fight that a lot of people have talked about waging but haven't quite yet? Well, I think there's a few things to remember. Number one, the federal government is already investing at a high level, at the basic research level that is the foundation for any cures or any new treatment, and also at the advanced development level for many of these new drugs. Um, I just announced uh, a bill with Senator Durbin last week uh, that would ensure that there's increased levels of funding for the National Institutes of Health and Centers for Disease Control and Department of Defense and VA so that we can come up with these new cures, right? So that's federal investment and research. So yes, these companies are investing, but so are the taxpayers. Mm. We are already investing in developing these drugs. And so then for the drug companies to come back and say, well, we need to recoup our costs. Well, what about us? What about us? And we've made the investment and we need to be able to afford the treatment. And I don't believe that the people um, only high income, high net worth individuals should be able to take advantage of life-saving cures. I think that that's wrong. And certainly in the United States in 2019, we should not um, further a system of haves and has not. But are the kinds of things, and I know you said there's, there's not any single thing, mm -hmm. but are the kinds of ideas you're talking about more in the lines of things like price controls? Uh, is oh. there a way for competition? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've, I've seen attempts at competition, sure. but for example, and I am not even going to, I can't think of the exact drug, but frankly, it happens all the time where a drug goes generic, you know, the, uh, the patent goes off, and a company comes out with a new version of it and starts marketing that. Yeah, small molecular tweaks, and then you get the patent reset. Um, so we know a few things. One, we have to have uh, direct price negotiation between Medicare and the pharmaceutical companies. That is certainly on the table. Uh, there are certainly um, ways to do this in a way that, uh, that remains to be seen, and so we're working out those policy details right now. Uh, but I also think that we have to create incentives for individuals to be thoughtful consumers, um, and that's probably going to be part of a package. Uh, we certainly need to um, realize that there are differences in drug categories, right? So generics have certain uh, challenges. Uh, there's certainly an anti-competitive wave uh, among generic manufacturers, and so you know we'll be moving forward legislation to address that uh, among. Um, the sort of routine maintenance medications, there's certain things that we can do to make sure that those are affordable, your insulins and your blood pressure medication, high cholesterol medication, right? There's a lot of chronic diseases that the American people experience that there is, it's a volume game, right? Like that uh, they are selling a lot of these drugs and yet they remain out of reach for a lot of Americans. And so there's certain incentives that we can put on that. Uh, and then um, the, the specialty drugs, right? We want to make sure um, that uh, we are addressing the unique needs around innovation, supply chain, and price uh, for those drugs. Um, I want to broaden the issue now to the healthcare in general. Mm -hmm. um, 
President Trump and his administration have tried to get the courts to declare the Affordable Care Act unconstitutional, um, while at the same time declaring that Republicans are going to become the party of health care. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Where have they but, been? But, but some in the GOPC going after the ACA as, as dangerous as we get into an election season. Um, so is Obamacare under attack or not? Pre-existing conditions have been under attack for many years. Pre-existing condition coverage uh, for folks like me uh, and like the 300 million other Americans who have a pre-existing condition. Uh, we've seen congressional Republicans attempt to roll back protections uh, to sabotage our ability to get treatment at an affordable price. Um, and they are, they have been, the Trump administration certainly has been lifting up these plans. They're called junk insurance plans, these short-term limited duration insurance plans that are not required to offer pre-existing condition coverage. They are not required to cover prescription drugs or maternity services or inpatient hospitalizations or any list of items that you typically receive when you purchase a plan with full coverage. And yet, these plans are allowed to market themselves as having full coverage. So what happens? A consumer buys it, and then they might get in an accident, get an injury, an unexpected diagnosis. They go to use their coverage and find out it's virtually worthless. These plans were only authorized to be offered in the marketplace for three months under the Affordable Care Act. But guess what? The Trump administration, through regulatory action, has lifted them up as like a shining example of their health care plans and now allows people to buy them for three years. So I have a bill uh, that has passed out of committee, H.R. 1010, which would... Um, effectively uh, cancel those regulations and make sure that they um, can only be offered on that short-term basis. No American should find themselves in a position of having spent their hard-earned money for an insurance policy that does not offer the full coverage that they thought they had when they purchased it. Can disclosure alone handle a, a situation like that? You know, most employers, for example, that do offer plans have you know, some well, we used to, you know, the, 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 they used to euphemistically call it a Cadillac plan mm -hmm. and then an, another lesser plan. And you knew, all right, right, I'm buying a good plan or I'm paying less to get coverage because I'm young and I'll never, you know, I'm not going to need this. Uh, so we're not talking about high deductible plans. That's something else. These junk plans are not able to be offered by employers. These are plans that individuals, let's say, they just left their job, they know they're starting another job, and four or five months they needed a bridge, right? They could, under the Affordable Care Act, they could buy this plan for three months, that's it. Mm -hmm. But the Trump administration has lifted them up as a non-employer sponsored plan alternative to the marketplace, to Obamacare, because they're cheap. Why are they cheap? Because they don't cover anything. And so when we think about consumers feeling ripped off in the, in the healthcare marketplace, struggling with price, right, because providers and procedures cost a lot of money, prescription drugs cost a lot of money. And so some people were trying to lower their premium costs, right, to have some additional funds left over to be able to deal with their medical conditions and the treatment that they require, and then find themselves in a position where their insurance coverage is worthless. We... Um, I think it's really important to remember that what the Affordable Care Act did was offered a suite of consumer protections. And in the sabotage, it wasn't just saying, no, you can't have coverage, but it also, they're trying to weaken those consumer protections. And so I'm really proud of leading uh, the way on this bill, which would reassure consumers that if you're buying a, a plan, that you would have full coverage. 
um, in making sure that we are protecting those pre-existing condition coverage for people who need it, right? The kind of discrimination that insurance companies were uh, displaying pre-ACA and denying coverage for any suite of, of conditions, whether you're diabetic, maybe in the past had a yeast infection, maybe if you're a woman, God forbid, you got pregnant once. And they were allowed to just deny coverage. I think many folks remember those days. And so um, I think it's really important that uh, we make sure that in our health insurance market, people are having access to these really basic fundamental protections. If the Republicans as a party and or, or the people in Congress back off of what sometimes looked like it was going to be another full court press on pushing something through on health care, mm-hmm. does that steal an issue away from Democrats? In other words, n- simply stop pushing to repeal and replace until after the 2020 elections. Well, I'm not having a repeal and replace conversation. The conversation that I'm having on Capitol Hill on behalf of the people here in northern Illinois is how can we lower their premium prices? How can we lower their prescription drug prices and improve our health care system? That is what we're doing every day in the halls of the Capitol. And so I just told you about this junk insurance plan bill. Uh, We also have one that will lower out-of-pocket costs, reducing premium prices for nearly 20 million Americans by saying that nobody would have to pay more than 8.5% of their adjusted gross income every year on health insurance premiums if they bought their plan on the marketplace. Because we know right now, you go on healthcare.gov or Covered Illinois or you know wherever uh, to, to assess your options to get Obamacare, it can be very expensive here in the 14th district. We don't have a lot of plan options. There's not a lot of different provide, you know, uh, health insurance companies offering plans, and it, it ends up being out of reach for someone who has to pay that sticker price. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, this commitment to lowering premium prices is genuine. And so our bill has, again, passed out of committee. Uh, actually has passed out of three committees, Ways and Means, Energy and Commerce, and Education and Labor. And so now we're really excited to be able to get it to the floor for a vote and send it over to the Senate. Yeah, and this is a, a House that is now a majority Democratic. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about it getting out of out of uh, the House. Well, but. I wouldn't say that. I think that the American people need to continue to speak up, right? If they want their premiums lowered... Folks cannot kick back and just assume that it's getting done. You know, I have to tell you, I've been a little bit surprised at, you know, the, uh, the low volume public conversation that we're having on these issues. Um, we need our reinforcements. We need the American people to say that, and, and to confirm that this is what they want us to be, to be doing um, and applying that pressure to our House Republican colleagues and to our Senate colleagues, um, because you know one chamber acting uh, doesn't always. It's not. I mean, it's important. We want the House to pass these bills, and I think that the House will pass these bills. I feel very confident in that. But at the end of the day, I want to be able to tell my neighbors that we got it done all the way through, and that requires some assistance from the American people. Um, not you, but our. Democratic lawmakers in general not making as big a deal of these kinds of actions and these bills as they should? No, I think we are, but I'm saying that, you know, nothing is free here, 
We walked in on swearing in day, knowing that in the last Congress, the Republicans passed this tax reform bill that added $1.5 trillion to the deficit. So now we have some constraints, right? We can't just make these changes um, and invest in infrastructure and do all these healthcare changes and maybe do a transformative um, thing on student loans to do maybe massive student loan forgiveness or something like that, right? Because there's just not enough money to do it all. And so just like any family in our community, we have uh, some fiscal constraints and we have to make some hard decisions about how we spend the taxpayer dollars. And so my point is that if we want action to lower health care costs and that is a priority, we need to hear that from people because otherwise that pool of money, it's fixed, might go someplace else. We know that the corporate tax rate currently stands at 21%. This is hypothetical. Let's say House Democrats said, you know what, we want to make some adjustments and we were willing to increase that corporate tax rate to 25%. For every 1% increase in the corporate tax rate, we're talking about $100 billion. Okay, so if you increase it four points, you're talking about $400 billion that we could use as a pay for. These are round numbers, but, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much close enough. Close enough. <laughs> OK, so what we're talking about is if we want to offer this additional these additional tax credits to lower the out of pocket health care costs, it's about $100 billion. If we want to um, get rid of the salt deduction cap completely, completely to say get rid of this $10,000 cap and go back to the old system, that's $600 billion. Mm. If we want to move forward with a moderate adjustment, we're looking at about $200 billion on taxes. If we want to do a whole-scale infrastructure package, right, that could get to a trillion dollars. And so we have to find pay-fors because we want to do this in a thoughtful, responsible way. That's what the American people sent me there to do, sent me there being Washington. And there's a limited pot of money. I think... The expectation of our community is, yes, we invest in healthcare, but we need to hear from folks Um, because otherwise another committee or another priority will get to spend those dollars. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking with 14th District Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. We're recording this interview in the 14th District, and we thank the folks at Heritage Woods of Huntley for their hospitality. And we will continue our conversation in just a minute after this message. Did you know that you can use digital advertising to precisely target only registered voters? You can further target by precinct, specific voting history, or even by a person's propensity to vote. While most digital marketers target only by geography, the data experts at Sinfrontiris understand much more is possible and vastly more effective. Not only are we experienced digital marketers, but we wrote one of the most powerful, customized voter databases on the market. At Sinfrontiris, we pride ourselves on creating data-driven strategies that win elections. We start with an in-depth analysis and then create plans that leverage the most impactful tools to reach and engage voters. When campaigns need the best data geeks, they turn to Sin Fronteras. So should you. This is Jason Bauman from Sin Fronteras Media. I want to invite you to visit WeWinInIllinois.com to learn how we can help you leverage digital, data, and effective messaging to win your next election. Let's continue talking about priorities, your priorities, and what things you feel you were sent there to do and what things have to be done before a whole lot of other things. Sure. 
Um, healthcare remains a priority for all of my committee work. So I serve on three committees in the Congress. Education and labor has this jurisdiction over employer-sponsored healthcare plans. So we have some creative ideas there. I'm the vice chair of the Committee on Homeland Security. And we know that health security is an incredibly important area that uh, has never really gotten a lot of attention in the House um, because they've not had a healthcare professional serve on the committee before. And so uh, we're, we're having the opportunity to um, explore and make recommendations um, based on my background and experience going down to the border and assessing the healthcare um, capabilities uh, at those different detention centers. And uh, we're working on a bill to make some adjustments. Um, and then on Veterans Affairs, uh, obviously the VA healthcare system is an area that is widely recognized as being a challenge and an opportunity for improvement, um, and particular uh, regarding mental health care services, the suicide epidemic that we're seeing and the like. And so healthcare remains a very strong focus. But then separately, we know that Northern Illinois, um, particularly the Illinois 14th District and Illinois 6th, are two of the top 20 congressional districts in the country that were harmed by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act um, and the newly imposed cap on those state and local tax deductions. The SALT deductions. And so working with my colleague, Sean Kasten, um, I introduced a bill that would uh, lift that $10,000 cap and raise it to $15,000 per individual filer and allow a jointly filing married couple to deduct up to $30,000 for those state and local property taxes or state and local taxes and then uh, index it to inflation. And so this is really important because in my district, the 14th, we know that in 2015, the average deduction was $13,000. So the average person is losing out under this tax plan and our upper boundary is around 28000 for our district. And so uh, Sean, or Representative Kasten, and my plan would cover the majority of folks in our community. So for my district, it's about 93 to 95% of filers uh, would benefit under this new plan. So that's been something that's been, I think, well-received in the community. Um, it's really a hyper-local focus, addressing a need um, so that we are not singularly called out and penalized. I, I have a feeling that this is going to be a bipartisan uh, <laughs> bill when, uh, when it gets to the floor, because because well, some, so. some Republicans, and in fact, um, Evelyn Sanguinetti, who is just an, the Republican uh, former lieutenant governor who just announced her campaign against Sean Kasten, mm -hmm. made it very clear, uh, as she was announcing, I want the salt, <laughs> the, the, the salt deduction back too. So uh, I, I think people are finding the taxpayers are... Let's get it done. No one's happy with this current construct. And uh, it we have the power to fix it. And so I'm really proud of the work that we've done on this bill. Uh, we welcome any of my colleagues to sign on and support. Uh, and I'm hopeful that we can get this one across the finish line sooner rather than later. Um, in terms of other priorities, we know that there is a economic agenda that is uh, important that will help so many families in our district. I'm talking about things like equal pay, paid family leave, affordable childcare, paid sick days. Um, and so I've been really excited to have the opportunity to work on many of these. So we passed pay Equal Pay in March, the Paycheck Fairness Act, um, which was an important bill that builds upon the Lilly Ledbetter Act, which um, President Obama signed into law. But we know that uh, workers needed additional tools to ensure that they were not facing uh, pay discrimination and on their on their jobs. So, for example, uh, there's a lot of people who work for companies that have multiple locations. Under current federal law, um, 
there's no ability for that individual to ensure that there is, you know, equity between facilities. Let's say you're a pharmacist at CVS or Walgreens, because Walgreens is an Illinois-based company. <laughs> Let's say you're a pharmacist at Walgreens, and uh, but Walgreens would never do this, have equal or pay discrimination. Um, and you know that at your facility, you make X dollars, but across town, someone with the same skill level, same background, same experience, completely equal qualifications is making significantly more, right? Uh, this bill, the Paycheck Fairness Act, would allow you to move forward and make that claim even though you don't work in the same physical structure, but you work for the same company doing the same job. Really important protection. And it would allow, if a judge makes this finding, for any other employee of that company that falls into that circumstance to have their pay adjusted. Right? So it allows for a class action type um, ruling uh, and, and, and removes the administrative barriers that would make, uh, that were you know, currently in effect. So I think that's an important pro-consumer move, pro-worker improvement, and it's not gender-based, right? We think of these issues as you know, a women's economic agenda, but I think it's broader. We know that pay discrimination and uh, you know, wage variability in that way impacts many workers. It's not just limited to one segment. So excited about that. Um, and these other bills, right? We're going to get um, paid family leave to the floor for a vote this spring. Uh, that's something that's really important. Again, not gendered. We've heard from so many advocates, particularly from the LGBT community, that are very excited that now those protections would be extended to them and the like. And so I believe that if we're going to have a strong economy in our state, in our community, everyone needs to be able to participate. And this helps us get there. Um, I cannot let you get through this interview without asking you what you think about the Mueller report. Mm -hmm. um, and, and its conclusion that there's not enough evidence that the Trump campaign uh, necessarily acted with uh, Russians uh, to turn the election, but reaching no conclusion about... Uh, whether the president obstructed justice in trying to halt that investigation. Well, I mean, there's things that we do know have happened. We know for sure that Russia uh, interfered in our election here in Illinois. Our state was called out where no others were in the report. And that's uh, very concerning. We obviously knew that something had happened, uh, but I think the report gives us, uh, arms us with additional information to ensure that it never happens again in our state never happens again in our country. Uh, is a foreign government, um, foreign actors, able to come in and potentially change the outcome of an election? I think it's really important uh, information. On the obstruction piece, you know, I think we all saw in the report that Mr. Mueller had an operating framework that said that a sitting president couldn't be indicted. And that was the lens under which he did his work. And yet, we also saw in the report that, you know, a sizable percentage of the report was redacted completely. And the Congress, I will speak from experience, I saw the same version of the report that you and all your listeners are seeing, Craig. You know, I really thought, this is an aside, based on the news coverage that we were going to get a copy of the report directly mm -hmm. from the Department of Justice. We did not receive that. And so I read the copy of the report and downloaded it from a news site, just like everybody else. And I think that that is disrespectful, number one. But my point is this. We don't have the complete information. Members of Congress, the separate and co-equal branch of government, is being kept in the dark about um, an occurrence that is so critical 
to our national security, so critical to our ability to ensure that we are protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States, and we need to see the full and complete unredacted report, period. I think number two, we have got to be moving forward on that volume one list of issues regarding the security of our election system and the integrity of our democracy. That is very important. I think you're going to see a lot of activity around um, making sure that we are implementing protections that states can deploy so that our election system is tight and it is um, that, that voters and citizens have confidence when they go and exercise their constitutional right to vote. We've only got a minute left, oh. but you know this question is coming. Where do you stand on the uh, question of whether Congress should or can impeach the president? Well, I think that um, we are awaiting this full unredacted report that should help inf influence the decision. Um, I think that we need to hear from the American people and in a way where it is resounding chorus of opinion. Um, I think that we have a lot of information that suggests that something happened um, and I'm looking forward to the many hearings that are being held uh, to hold some Trump administration folks accountable. But I really think that the president um, needs to, to hear from us on this issue. And um, I recognize that part of my role is to be a check and a balance on the Trump administration. I'm looking forward to doing that. And on the president himself. And I'm looking forward to doing that. So withholding judgment at this point. Well, I on, think we're on... critically assessing and, and getting more information. Right, these hearings are going to uncover more information. We need to see the full report and all those appendixes that they just like blocked out, right? Like that kind of stuff we need to know. That's going to be the final word. We need to know. More to come. <laughs> Congressman Lauren Underwood of Naperville, thank you for spending uh, this time on a very busy break from Capitol Hill. Yeah. Uh, to our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. Just follow the podcast link and scroll down. You can also find our podcast on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9. FM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 